0: Here's the idea, we are in a series called Can We Talk About It, all right? And it's about how do our emotions intersect with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And what we've said over and over again is we cannot let our emotions be our God. They are a gift from God but when they become our God and they rule, in today's language, we would say, that's just my authentic self. Well, listen, if you're a follower of Christ, our emotions are to be governed by our will and by our heart, or excuse me, by our will and by our mind to say, you know what? My emotions are great, but they cannot rule over me. They are a gift from God, but they are not God. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at some of the ones that are like super prime right in the front. And I wanna thank you for being an authentic church. You would not believe some of the stories that we have heard. I mean, just, just all, all across the board. Some of them I've heard in the lobby. And you come up and you said, well, here's what I was dealing with and this is what I thought about doing last week and all these things and it blows me away because what it reminds me of is, even though we walk into church sometime and somebody asks, how you doing? And you're like, man, I'm blessed and highly favored. You know, bottom line is that's not always the case. And we wanna be a church where you know what, it's okay to not be okay, but we understand that the gospel doesn't wanna just leave us in that state. And so what we've tried to do is like, how do our emotions and how does the gospel, how do they intersect together? And what we've been looking at is uh, you know, things like shame and bitterness and covetousness and depression and, and then fear. All right, how, how do we apply the Bible to that? Augustine, way back in the fifth century, said that our emotions are like smoke from a fire. It's not the fire, it's the smoke from the fire. So we've tried to like peel back the layer of just what that emotion is saying and saying, what is the deeper, what is the deeper issue here? That today we're gonna deal with an emotion that is actually one that everybody, believer or unbeliever, you deal with. And we're gonna look at a passage, as I said at the start, that is, pers- it's not just my favorite. Martin Luther, who was the guy that was like the leader of the Protestant Reformation, he said, this is the most important paragraph in the book of Romans. And he said in the book of Romans, in his mind, was the most important book in the Bible. And I thought about this all week. Two things. Number 1, if you can understand these 7 verses. If you can understand these 7 verses, you will have a very good grasp of the entire Bible. This is gives this gives you the meta narrative from Genesis to Revelation. Secondly, this also is like the underpinnings of like 5 or 6 or 7 of the sayings that we talk about all the time or I repeat all the time. And the reason I repeat some phrases all the time is I want you to get them down so much so that they just kinda come out of your mouth when you're talking to your friends or your family. And the foundation is found in this passage uh, today. We say things like the whole Bible is a neon sign pointing to Jesus. We talk about if you know the gospel that when you fail you run to God in repentance, not from God in fear and in shame. We talk all the time about your past may explain you but only God gets to define you. We talk all the time about there's really just two religions in the world. There's self-atonement, there's self-atonement, and there's sacrificial atonement. So all this stuff finds its foundation in Romans chapter three. And I will tell you on the front end, all right? So sometimes I'll say, hey, underline this word or underline that word. Let me just go ahead and say, just underline all the verses, all right? Every word is important. This is gonna be This is gonna be like you going to a Brazilian steakhouse is what it's gonna be like. If you go to a Brazilian steakhouse, there's one, we don't have one here that's called Fogo de Chao, there's a good one downtown Asheville. Fogo de Chao is like Fogo de carnivore delight because it is basically what it is, is you raise that green flag when you're out of meat and they bring you more meat and they bring you more meat, you raise the flag again, they bring you more meat. That's what Romans three is like. It's like meat is just layer, layer, theological meat, theological meat, theological meat, but all of it has practical application. So Romans chapter three, we're just gonna do one of my favorite things and just just go through it line by line. If you wanna take an outline, some of you are like, I like taking notes, okay? There'll be a bunch of notes to take. If you really wanna just like, I like my points, I like my points then I'll give you a couple of points. But bottom line is we're gonna go from verse 20, really, not just 21, but we're gonna go from verse 20 to verse 26 out of Romans chapter three. And what we're gonna be dealing with is the emotion. It's really not, a, it's not just a feeling, it's actually a fact. What we're gonna be dealing with is what we oftentimes refer to as guilt. All right, guilt is that alarm system that goes off when you are outside God's moral boundary. When you and I get outside of God's moral boundaries, it's like, You are outside the boundaries in which I said. Now, the ability for you to hear that alarm is in many ways conditioned on the condition of your conscience. Your conscience, the Bible says your conscience has a bunch of different conditions. Sometimes your conscience can be seared, other times it can be calloused, other times it can be super, super healthy. But one of the things this is is it shows us that guilt is something that we struggle with and guilt is something that the gospel talks about all the time. Many psychologists say, in order to be happy, you need to, be, you need to have a sense of safety, you need to have a sense of, of significance, and you need to have a sense of, you, that you're clean. And the gospel actually hits all of those. And one of the things that we talk about also all the time is every once in a while, when one of these reports comes out, you're like, finally, science is now catching up to what the Bible has said all the time. Because the gospel says, you know what? You are significant. You are significant enough for the Lord Jesus Christ to down a tree for you, all right? You're not some accident that happened, you are made in the image of Almighty God. Clean is what we're gonna talk about today though. That feeling of guilt that I did it, I have regrets, I have this overwhelming sense of you know what, that's always keeping me down, I can't move forward with God because my enemy is always bringing up my past. Now one last thing is uh, contrary to popular belief, guilt is not always bad. There is false guilt, but there's also true guilt. Oftentimes guilt can be God's messenger to say, listen, stop hurting yourself, don't hurt yourself. It's kind of like I said last week, it can be that feeling of like, hey, don't touch a hot stove. You touch that stove, it's gonna hurt. That can be what guilt is like. It's listen, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, and loved ones, here it is. If you try to apply any other worldview, any other kind of silly power of positive thinking to try to get past guilt, It'll be like you trying to smother a forest fire by like throwing your body on it. It it just doesn't work. Maybe for a week, maybe for a month, maybe if you move cities. But the amazing thing is in this this text, every single answer about guilt is both given and remedied. All right, so here's the context. Uh, One of these years, we're just gonna take like half a year and go through the book of Romans. That's what we're gonna do. But Romans three, I look back and it's like 15 years if this is the most important paragraph, like in the Bible, and I'm like, I have never preached on this passage. That's like, man, this is like, so just, we got about three hour sermon, but here's, here's the idea. The context is this. The Apostle Paul has been layering these arguments for the first two and a half chapters. For two and a half chapters, he's laying these arguments that basically say this. Whether you are, whether you are irreligious or whether you are religious, you need the gospel. Whether you are an irreligious, just a rebel against God, You need the gospel, that's chapter one. Chapter two is if you are religious, if you are a rule follower, you need the gospel as well. And then he gets to chapter three, and he says in verse 20, for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. All right, review. When you see the word law there, it is talking in general about the 600 plus Jewish laws in the Old Testament, in general. Specifically, he's talking about the big 10, the 10 Commandments, which we'll go over here in a second, the 10 Commandments. And if you hadn't been here, what we talk about and one of the cliches that I said earlier was that God's law, God's rules, specifically the 10 Commandments serve In one hand, they do serve like a map. Remember the context when God gave the law. There were people that had been in slavery for 400 years. He was forming a nation who had not had to rule themselves for 400 years. So he said, listen, Moses, here are 10 commandments in which by you rule this nation or you lead this nation. This is how you relate to each other. This is how you relate to me. So in some ways it is God's map for human flourishing. It's like, listen, this is how your marriage works better. And this is how your parenting works better. That is true. But the New Testament says there's a bigger purpose than just a map and that is a mirror. That when you and I look at those 10 commandments and we understand that we've broken them all, it serves as a mirror because we look at the mirror and we look at the mirror of the 10 commandments and we're like, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And the problem, and the problem is us. All right, first definition. Verse 20, see how it says the word uh, righteousness? You'll see the word righteousness and justified, and it's the same basic word. And and think this, it means right standing before God. It doesn't mean activity as much as it means identity. And so verse 20 ends by saying, nobody's gonna be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So uh, sin, we usually think of as something on the evening news or something out there in the marketplace. And but with sin, literally means it's an archery term. It means that you have missed the bullseye. It means God has a bullseye and you and I have missed it completely. Now it doesn't mean that you and I don't occasionally do some good stuff, but think of it this way: if you get five shots at the bullseye and you just duck your first couple in the ground, it really doesn't matter if even the next three, you just are like, you know what? Bullseye, 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 why? Because you've already blown it, because God's standard is perfection, perfection. He says, be holy as I am holy. And then we look at the 10 commandments and they're like, "Uh uh-oh, I've messed up. Okay, so here's the deal, church. You gotta do this in Hendersonville, you gotta do this at Brevard. If you don't do it, at least at Arden, If you don't play with me in this game right here, I'm gonna bring you up on the platform. So just go ahead and play with me on this one. So put your hand up like this. You don't have to put it up like this, just put your hand up in front of you, all right? Okay, what we're gonna learn, we're gonna do like adult VBS today for about five minutes. And one of the things you'll be able to do is go, guess what? You know what? I know the 10 commandments and we're gonna do hand signals, all right? You don't have to do it to your neighbor, except on number 10, but I'm just saying right now, all I want you to do is most of us, most of us don't even know the 10 commandments. We certainly don't know all 10 and we certainly don't know them in order. All right. So what I'm going to do is we're going to do a little vacation Bible school kind of feel. And if nothing else, you'll be able to go home if you're a parent and go. All right, honey. Number one. Okay. So you ready? Okay. Just put your index finger up. Okay. Go ahead and put it up. Okay. Okay. That's Commandment number one. Okay. There's one God. You will have no other gods before me. That's Commandment number one. See how good you're doing? You're like you're already acing the test. Commandment number one is no other gods before me. All right. You ever broken that commandment? Have you ever said, you know what, man? The world kind of revolves around me. It doesn't revolve around God. It revolves around me. That's what Commandment number one is. Listen, God loves you. God is for you, but it's not about you. That's Commandment number one. All right. Some of you've already broken it because you're like being rebellious, which is like the eleventh commandment. You're not even getting your hands up. All right, hands up. All right, number one. All right, number two. Put just actually just do this. But um, you put it like this. Okay. Put them like that. Okay. Good. Okay. Commandment number two is what. Okay, commandment two, is like, no idols, no idols. So what is this right here? Those are scissors. You're cutting all the idols out of your life. You're cutting them all out of your life. Now today, we don't think we have idols because you're like, man, those people, we have chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery is basically thinking, man, those primitive people way back in the day, we're smart now, we're progressive now. No, our idols have just progressed. Instead of little carved images or golden calves, we worship things like how many likes we got on a tweet or what kind of car we drive or what's the title behind our name. Those are our idols now. All right, so that's two. Okay, you're gonna have to work on this one. Okay, make a fist. (laughs) You have to be careful. Get all three of them up, okay? Okay, you're gonna put all, all three, make sure all three go up and forms a W, okay? Forms a W. W would just be words. What do you think number three is? Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's your words. You're like, well, I hadn't cussed, I hadn't cussed. It's it's not just that. Were you singing a song a little while ago because the word vain means empty? Did you sing, I I speak Jesus, and when you're bored and when you're checking your phone and seeing how your fantasy football team was doing, that that would be breaking that one, okay? Four, okay, four. What's the fourth one? Okay, obey the Sabbath and keep it holy. Obey the Sabbath and keep it holy. Okay, there's typically, I know some of you are gonna go, yeah, but one month had five Sundays. All right, work with me. Four Sundays in most months, most months have four Sundays. Keep the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath holy. So what are you doing there? How do most of us break that Sabbath? God made you in rhythm. He made you for a rhythm to work really, really hard six days a week, and then one day a week, spiritually get rejuvenated and physically get refreshed. Now most of us, either one of the other extremes, either some of us we work 80 hours a week or others of us have like the three day weekend all the time with no spiritual refreshment and then come back and start Monday exhausted, okay? That's number four, how you doing? Good, all right, number five, all right? This one's easy, all right? Five right here, it's kind of like this. Salute, who do you salute? People you honor, who are we supposed to honor? What's, com- what's the next commandment, commandment number five? Honor, by the way, did you know that the first four are all vertical? They're about your relationship with God, and then the next six are about your relationship with other people. And so the first one on the relationship with other people docket is the relationship with your parents. And by the way, some of you are like, well, my parents aren't honorable. Listen, there's a difference between honor and respect. All right, respect is earned, honor is given. Respect is earned, honor is, is given. All right, <laughs> you got work with me on this one, okay? So uh, kind of use both hands, all right? use both hands like this, and then turn, this is commandment number six, okay? Thou shalt not murder. All right, so take uh, either hand, take your left hand, form a gun, boom. All right, bang, that guy's dead. All right, you killed killed somebody. Now, some of you are like, well, I'm glad we got to that one because I hadn't broken that command, and we're good with that command until we look over in Jesus and the way he raised the bar, and he says this. He says, you know what? If you even If you are angry with your brother, you've heard it said you shall not murder, but guess what? If you're angry with your brother, call your brother a fool, you are guilty of breaking that command. And how's that going for you? All right, I didn't even get past Friday on I-26 without breaking that number six, all right? So that's just just six, okay? So we got this, we got seven. Remember what seven is? Thou shall not commit adultery. All right, okay, I just think of this. Okay, this is like a bunny rabbit. Bunny rabbit is like going in secret, going behind your back. Why? Because adultery is usually done in secret. Some of you are like, man, is anybody in here just crushing this at all? Anybody just like, you know what? This is pretty easy. Can we get to the hard stuff? I mean, can we get to Leviticus and get some of those dietary laws? Because man, these first 10 are easy. No, we've all all busted them. Okay, all right, number eight. All right, so you're gonna have to work on this. You're gonna have to work on this a little bit. Um, All right, let me think. Uh, Hands up like this. And then, um, what is it? Whack off a pinky, okay. What is it? Thou shalt not steal. Some countries you steal something, they whack off your arm. You're like, that's gross. Yeah, but you'll remember it, okay. So here's the next one, here's the next one. Here's the next one, okay. Uh, Number nine, number nine is do the same thing, whack off the pinky, but then ah, faking you out, put the pinky back up, what does that one say? What's number nine? You shall not lie. You should not lie. Anybody, anybody pressed I agree when it says I accept the terms of agreement or I've read it? And you go, yeah, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, enough said. All right, number 10. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, number 10 is, is all of them, put your, all your hands out right there and then grab a nice iPhone by your neighbor and just grab your neighbor's iPhone. Okay, that's, that's, I'm just kidding. That's I shall not covet, all right? I shall not covet. So here's the idea, all right? Number one, you passed, at least knowing them, but what he's trying to say here is when you know him, it shows how messed up we are because we have broken all of them. It says, here's the target and here's how badly we missed. And some of you are like, well, that's kind of funny, but whatever, I hadn't really, I don't really think I broke. We, listen, we can't even keep our own laws. I mean, put God's laws aside for a second. Bro, you and I can't even keep our own laws. How many times have we said, you know what? I'm not ever gonna drink again or I'm not ever going to yell at my spouse again, or I'm never going to watch that again, or I'm never going to whatever. And then it's like, you do it and you're like, liar, liar. So we can't even keep our own. So what Paul is trying to say is, listen, the guilt is real. The guilt is great. And the guilt is, the guilt is real. And so the text says no human being. And some of us struggle with that because we like look at the news and we're like, you know, I'm kind of better. I'm better than those, those people. I'm a, I mean, I know some people have sinned, but the bottom line is you gotta understand you do not have what it takes. Think of it this way when it comes to comparison. Because who do we compare ourselves with? A college roommate or you know the nightly news, we're like, oh, I'm better than that guy. Think of it this way. If you go to Atlanta, Georgia, the skyline is a ton, a ton of tall buildings. I mean, I go down there, when I drive through there now, I never, I never cease to not look over and see the little pinstripe to where my dad worked when we were like when I was like a really small kid, that used to be one of the tallest, if not the tallest building in Atlanta. Now it's like a shrimp compared to all these other ones. And so when you're driving through Atlanta, the difference in height of those buildings is easily noticeable. But if all of a sudden you were like to go up to the moon and look down at Atlanta, Georgia, and look at the skyline from the moon, you could not tell any difference between those buildings. Why? Because the perspective is different. And what I'm trying to show us is, the text is saying, God is so holy, when he looks at us, you might be a little bit better sinner than this next person's a sinner and they might be a little bit better than that person but bottom line, God is so holy, God is so holy, it just says sinner. And sometimes people kind of speak up now and go, that's not even fair. How in the world can God set a law and a target that, we, that he sets the bar so high that we cannot attain it And so what the answer to that is, is what the reformers way back 500 years ago called alien righteousness. There's gotta be something from outside of us that answers this problem. How do you have a holy God who's also loving and yet you've got sinful people? How do you break that guilt? Because he's saying the guilt is real. So here's the the answer. This is like the part that you wanna just, this is amazing. But now, I told you last week, when you see the word, but in the Bible, if, God, if it's about God, that's usually good. If it's about attributed to people, that's usually not good. And here it's attributed to God. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So in other words, moral modification, self-atonement, you doing what you cannot do, he said, there's a righteousness of God that has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, which by the way, that's why I'm always telling you, listen, the whole Bible, this is an example of the whole Bible because the law and the prophets is the whole Old Testament. That's why I'm telling you all the time that all of that stuff is not just about, hey, dare to be a Daniel and have faith like an Abraham. and all. That's not what it's saying primarily it's pointing toward, it's pointing toward Jesus. It is a neon sign. Just like if you're driving to Franklin from Asheville, there'll be a sign that'll say like, Franklin, 31 miles. That's not Franklin. It's just telling you Franklin is up ahead. And so these prophets through shadows and symbols and sermons, what they're saying is, listen, there's a rescuer. He's not here yet, but he's coming up ahead. And so that's what Paul is saying. It was The righteousness of God, what? Through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there is no distinction. The distinction there is talking about religious or non-religious, the Jew or the Greek. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory or the standard of God. Now verse 24 has two words, 24 and 25 have got three words total, but two words in 24. You, You gotta know. Now, we don't, say, we don't say big theological words just to uh, impress you. I'm not trying to say, listen, here's where my schooling went. I'm trying to show you that these words are key in everything about your life. How you see your life, how do you see other people? What do you do when you fail? What do you do when you succeed? Everything from your marriage to your parenting to the way you run your company, all of that Those those are applications of this, but check out what it says. And are justified, there's one of them, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. First word, justified. Justified is a legal term. It's the idea, it's the biblical truth, because we like justice. Now understand we do like justice. Think about all the, think about all the, crime shows that are hits and have been for 10 years. I mean, NCIS, NCIS New Orleans, whatever, um, Law and Order, all those things are all about justice. I mean, we love those and we like it when the bad guy, when the perp gets it in the end, we're like, justice was done. We've said before, that's part of that Imago day. the way God made you. There's a sense when something is wrong, that little inside thing goes off to say, listen, something is wrong and needs to be corrected. And so, when you see the word justified, it's the idea of a legal verdict. It's that the hammer or the gavel of God's courtroom has come down to the person that has faith in Jesus, and not only were you declared not guilty, now you gotta get this, it's like double justification. You were not only declared not guilty, you were also declared innocent. Now that's the part most Christians don't get. It's not just that you were not guilty and now God's gonna put up with you for the next 30 years until you go to heaven. It's that you were, it's called double imputation. Not only was it given to you the fact that, you know what? God took your sin and poured it on Jesus. It's the fact that he took Jesus's righteousness. Think about all the stuff Jesus did. The way he healed people, the way he fulfilled the law perfectly. All of that stuff, that bullseye, he hit the bullseye every time, on time, all the time. And then all of a sudden that gets attributed to you. That's justification. Just, because here, think of it this way. A holy God has basically three choices when it comes to dealing with sinful people. Number one, he could condemn us. He could condemn us. You have sinned, I'm a righteous God, I'm a holy God, he could condemn us. A second one is he could condone us, but even we know that's not right. I mean, think about if some judge in Western North Carolina looked at some guy that had hurt a child or raped a woman or something and looked at him and said, well, you know what, man, it's not all right, I know you didn't mean it. I'm just going to let you go. I'm just going to kind of act like it didn't happen. You and I would score like that judge needs to get kicked off. And God's a holy judge, so he can't just ignore it. And so what he does in this one is he pays for, he pays for us himself. Think about it this way. Justification, an easy way to remember that is just as if I've never sinned. It's the opposite of condemnation. You enter God's courtroom, there's a mountain of evidence that shows the fact that we are wicked, black-hearted sinners that have sinned both in word, sinned in action, sinned in motive, and then what happens is when you trust Christ, all of that gets taken off you, and we'll see why here in a second, and you get all that Jesus did. That's justification. So second word, verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, second word is redemption. This is gonna age me a little bit, but again, back 200 years ago when I was like in seminary, I was broke as a joke. Just so you know, I mean, I was broke as a joke. College got taken care of, but seminary was like broke as a joke, Fort Worth, Texas. But my mom, she would, out of the graciousness of her heart, she would send me these books of green stamps. All right, green, some of y'all know. I don't even know how you got them, because, but I mean, but you got these, she got these books of green stamps. I think she got green stamps when she bought stuff. And then you put these green stamps in these books and then the books would accumulate. And then like every quarter, so she would send me these books of green stamps. And wouldn't you know it, grace of God, there is a, what they called a redemption center, like two miles down the road in Fort Worth. And a redemption center was basically think it's kind of like the early precursor of Sam's. You had all of this stuff in there from lamps to washing machines. And what you would do is you could take your books of green stamps and you would go. And then let's say I needed a lamp I would go in there and I would get a lamp and I would go up to the checkout area and she would say, that's $55. And I would like, it's $55 for regular people, but boom, I've got these green stamps right here, lay them down and I would walk out with a brand new lamp. Now here's what you gotta understand. Although it costs me nothing, it cost them full price. It costs me nothing, it costs them $55. And what redemption is the idea that, listen, God paid you, God paid for you. So all this malarkey stuff about, oh, you just kind of came from, you know, you, you're, you don't have a purpose, and you're worthless, and you came from, you know, these kind of this amoeba that came from, whatever, that's not true. Listen, God paid a price for you. You're not worthless. You're not unknown. God knows you. God saves you. God made you. And so when you look at this, he redeems you if you're in Christ and it gets better. You're like, how does that even happen? Last, last word, and this is the one we've talked about. If you've been here, this is one we've talked about. Last couple verses, verse 25 and 26. Well, this is like amazing. Whom God put forward, and see how he's building it? How God put forward as a, and here's our word, propitiation, propitiation. Don't say it three times fast, but you can say propitiation, propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, that just means God was patient, he had passed over the former sins. Think former, think, a lot of times people are like, well, how are people in the Old Testament saved? I mean, how are people like Noah? How how were they saved? And you know, Abraham, I mean, Jesus wasn't there yet. And what you're gonna see is the same way Noah gets saved and the same way Abraham gets saved and the same way Isaiah gets saved is the same way you get saved. How is Noah's guilt taken away? How is Abraham's guilt taken away? It's the same way your guilt is taken away. Same way. They, by faith, look forward to what Jesus would do. We, by faith, look back at what Jesus has done. And so that's what he's saying, he's saying, by his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. Last verse, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might, this is, this is so cool, that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right, for probably the 12th time Let me drill down on what this word means because this in some ways is like the kernel of the big picture of what the Bible is about. Propitiation literally means a, a payment that satisfies. And what this is doing is also linking Jesus to the Old Testament. You're like, how? The word for that is translated here, propitiation, is the word hilasterion. Hilasterion is the Greek word for mercy seat. All right, stay with me. The mercy seat was the covering on top of the ark. Think Indiana Jones, it's a great documentary, just kidding. Um, but think ark of the covenant, all right? Ark of the covenant the Ark of the Covenant was where they kept a the, the bunch of stuff, including like the Ten Commandments. And then there was a, it's a, it's a seat, but it's, think of it as, a, it's almost like a lid that was put over it. And so here's what would happen for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You can read about it like in the first half of your Bible. There was a day because the people of God could not go into the presence of God. You understand that? In the Old Testament, you didn't just waltz into church with a latte in your hand and like, well, let's just talk. no. What happened is the people of God could not go into the presence of God, and so what they did is they had priests. Now Again, I know we got a bunch of Roman Catholics here and former Roman Catholics and all that stuff, and listen, I love you, but what this is showing you is listen, you, if you're a Christ follower, you don't have to go through a man to talk to God. And so how did that happen? Well, what happened back then was the priests would do two things on, there was one day a year called the Day of Atonement. Atonement, all right, atonement is very, very similar to uh, propitiation, all right, so just think of it this way. One one, One day a year, called the Day of Atonement, the priest would be able to go in what they called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark was. That's just one day a year. So what he would do is, first thing he would do is the people would come to the priest and they would confess their sins to the priest. The priest would then, first of all, he would go to a goat And he would put his hands on the head of the goat and confess the sins of the people on the head of the goat and they would send the goat out into the wilderness. That's where we get our term scapegoat from. And so they would send him out in the wilderness and the idea is our sin is leaving the camp. Our sin is leaving and as far as the east is from the west so far as he removed our sin from us. That was the idea. They actually, some extra biblical stuff said sometime those goats would like wander back into camp and it would freak the people out. So they sometime would like, to help him over a cliff. And like, hey, just, you know, we don't want you coming back on us again. But then what would happen is the priest would go and he would have to cleanse himself. He would purify himself. And then he would take a spotless lamb. Now, check this out. He would take a spotless lamb. He would slit the throat of the lamb. And then he would paint blood on the mercy seat, on the propitiation, on the hilasterium. And so what's happening now? is that when God up in heaven will look down at his law that was broken by his people, he wouldn't see the broken law, he would see the blood of the spotless lamb. And so that hundreds of years later, when John the Baptist steps out and says about Jesus, behold, the lamb of God who takes away, doesn't just pass over, takes away the sin of the world, that's what he's talking about. He's saying mercy is found in Jesus All those prophecies, all those promises, all those pictures are being fulfilled in Jesus. Now, I gotta warn you, just as your pastor, let me warn you here, and I'm not bad-mouthing anybody because I'm not naming anybody. I would just call it liberal theology. Liberal theology is typically just theology that gets away from the book. We can have disagreements about what the book says, but the nature of the book, that begins, and so liberal theology, and we're unashamedly Bible. And if you're like, man, I don't believe the Bible, we'd love to have that conversation with you. Actually, in about three weeks, I'll, there's actually a sermon upcoming about why you can believe the Bible, uh, the, the, the authenticity of the Bible, how we got our Bible, that's coming up in about three weeks if you want to mark it on your calendars. But here's, here's the idea. Liberal theology, and usually liberal theology comes out of minimizing one aspect of God's character and maximizing the other one. Typically, what it is, is liberal theology is very uncomfortable with the wrath and the justice of God and the holiness of God, and very comfortable with the love of God. And that makes sense. But if we don't take God for who he is and who he reveals himself to be, then it's like a seesaw. It's like, boom, you're going to get way out of whack. And so what liberal theology will say is, man, (laughs) the cross and stuff, I mean, that was not a picture of a just and holy God pouring his wrath out on Jesus, That was a picture of just how much God loves us to which I would say, what, how, how?" I mean, Jesus showed how much he loved us a thousand different ways, a thousand different ways. The way he healed people, the way he comforted people, the way he did all of that stuff. But if all he was doing was just trying to show the highest expression of love, and wasn't protecting us from something, that would be, I just can't find the logic in that. That would be like you walking down the, that would be like me walking down the street with Elsie Grace, and to show her how much I love her, throwing myself into the street, and get hit by a car. How does that show how much I loved her? Unless, like a speeding car was coming toward us, and I tried to throw myself in front of the car to protect her. Then you can understand. That's what he was doing. Hilestarian, the Greek word for mercy seat, that's why he can say, there's the justice of God, he is both the just and the justifier. That one sentence, he is is both just, holy and righteous, and the justifier. Think of it this way. When you look at the cross of Jesus, think about this, the vertical beam is the holiness of God. It's the fact that God is 100% holy He is just, he does, the Bible says he does get angry. Think of the horizontal bar as the love of God, the fact that he loves us, he loves you. And then right there where the vertical and the horizontal meet, right there, right there, is where the justice of God and the love of God meet, they meet at the cross of Jesus. And so what happens is when Jesus takes our sin, the way Peter would say it, Peter would say you were redeemed Because of, he took the curse for you on the tree. You were redeemed, you were bought back. Not with perishable things like silver and gold, it says with the precious blood of Jesus. So how does that download into life? Here's what it says, here's the way it ends. It's to the one that has faith in Jesus. To the one that has faith in Jesus. Here's what I would say, and if you're watching online, here's what I would say as well. The only negative part about faith and that word, it's a great translation. It's just the fact that we, particularly here in the West, we have kind of watered faith down. Faith has, to some people has come to believe, come to think it's like a mental ascent. I believe that Jesus died on a cross, which is not the whole picture of faith. The word faith there, pistuo, actually means to trust in. I don't have a chair up here. But if I were to have a chair up here, I would say, you know what? I believe the chair can hold me up. That is the way some people think faith is. Biblical faith is I'm going to sit down in the chair. And that's the way it is with faith in Jesus. You can grow up going to church. You can grow up being a deacon. You can grow up doing all that stuff. And you know what? I believe Jesus, I believe what Jesus did. I've seen the flannel graph. But it is not until you believe, not just that he did something for you. You believe in the Jesus that did something for you. I don't mean to, praying to receive Christ can be a very valid expression of repentance and faith. It can be, it really can be. But don't miss the fact that praying a, praying to sinners prayer, there's not that formula in the Bible. The formula in the Bible is not pray a little prayer and everything's great. What the Bible talks about, the closest that it comes to that is to receive, John chapter 1 says, To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, to those that believe, pastuo in his name. And so the idea is the way we talk about it a lot is surrender to the lordship of Christ. And so the question you gotta ask is, Has there been that time? Has there been a time where you actually surrender to the lordship of Christ? Not just believe, you know, that Jesus did something, but believe in Jesus. And so let me give you one quick difference and then we'll respond. I said earlier there's two ways. There's there's basically two ways your sins can be propitiated or atoned for. One of them is self-atonement, which means this. It's like, God, I got this. I'm good, I got this. I got this, and then you go do what you want, when you want, with who you want. The problem with that is the Bible says that the cost to pay for that is is eternity, no matter how good you think you are. What this text talks about is substitutionary atonement. have faith in, you lean into, you put your weight on what Jesus did at the cross for the payment of your sin. You surrender to the lordship of Christ. The way we talk about it oftentimes is just as simple as ABC. I admit I'm a sinner and I need a savior, all right? I'm not a mistaker who needs a life coach, I'm a sinner who actually needs a savior to come and rescue me. B means I'm gonna believe. I'm gonna believe that somehow, even though you might have have 10,000 questions, you don't have to have all your questions answered to believe that you know what, when he said it is finished or when he said, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they do, that somehow that counted for me and then C would be call on the Lord. And God will save you right where you sit. God will save you, You're watching in Michigan, God will save you right where you sit there in your bedroom. And you don't have to wait, I got a couple more minutes, but right where you are with your eyes open, just you know what, God, I believe, I admit that I'm a sinner, I believe that what you did on the cross counted for me and right now, as best I know, I'm calling on Jesus to save me. Here's about 50 applications if you're already a believer. Let me give you a couple of them. Here's, here's things I jotted down for me. I'm not gonna go through this verse, but just so you know, the next verse simply talks about if you're gonna boast, which means confidence, if you're gonna boast, boast, don't boast in what you did. It says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. In other words, boasting is confidence. So if you're in Christ and Jesus is the payment that satisfies, here are all the sayings we say. If that's it, that is an, it's impossible for God to be dissatisfied with you. You understand that? If you're in Christ, and Christ is the propitiation, the payment that satisfies, and you're in Christ, and then he looks at you, what does he do? He looks at you and he sees the blood of Jesus, not the broken law, guess what? Then he can't be dissatisfied with you. He can't even be, think about it this way. In order to be disappointed, For somebody to really disappoint you, guess what has to happen? You gotta surprise them, right? Somebody doesn't do what you thought they would do, and so you're now disappointed. I remember sometimes parents, that's like the ace in the hole. All right, if spankings don't work and whatever else, you're like, well, I'm just disappointed in you. And why are you disappointed? Because you didn't expect that. Here's a newsflash for you. You will never do anything that God is like, man, I didn't see that coming. I did not see little Johnny doing that at all. Never at all will that happen. So what are some things we can get? If if Jesus is a propitiation, I love this one, it was like on Instagram, I jotted it down. Religion says, I messed up, my dad is gonna kill me. The gospel says, I messed up, I need to call my dad. I love that deal, I love that. When the enemy says, you know what, you are condemned, you are unfit for use, you need to be able to have something there and say no. Jesus was condemned for me, and therefore there is no condemnation left for me. You gotta be able to say that. Apathy. I don't know, again, I don't know how y'all sang. It took us a while here at the Arden Campus. I love you. Those first two songs, you all sang fairly lame. I'm just saying, you all sang, they sang great, you guys sang lame, I'm just telling you. When it came to I Speak Jesus, you kinda got into it a little bit. But let's say you're apathetic in your walk. You know it. It's been a long time since you wanted to get in the word. It's been a long time since you really got into worship. You're like, I need, I need something to fire me up again. Here's what Spurgeon said. I love the way Spurgeon put it. He says, when we think too lightly of sin, we think too lightly of our savior. He who has stood before his God convicted and condemned with the rope about his neck is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned. To hate, To hate the evil which has been forgiven him, and to live to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. Okay, you're not really fired up? Just think about what we talked about, the fact that he paid for your sin, that you've broken all of God's laws. Instead of condemning you, he took the condemnation for yourself. Comfort, you can say, you know what, because of that passage, the God who fights for me He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He came after me when I was his enemy. So he will definitely, he will definitely care for me now as his daughter. If it comes to security, he did the work anyway. It's called eternal security. He's not gonna lose you like you lose car keys, all right? You can't lose your salvation because you didn't pay for your salvation. Confession. What do you do? You run to God when you fail. You don't run from God when you fail. There's a song we, this is like a three minute song To me, it's like the epitome. I love the way this song goes. And there's this one bridge in it that um, it says, so I will rise and I'll lift my head. Now, why would he say that? Because the psalmist says, God is the lifter of your head. And I love the pictures because we've been talking about things like guilt and shame. And some of you are like, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. That's a big deal that happened to me. And as we say all the time, it might be a big deal. And it might explain some of your proclivities and some of your habits and some of your fears and some of your wounds. But it's not the biggest thing that happened to you if you're in Christ. The biggest thing that happened to you is you got adopted as a daughter of Almighty God and he loves you. That's the biggest thing that happened to you. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet, wherever you are, whatever campus you are, stand your feet. It says, so I will rise and I will lift my head By his mercy, my life was spared. The highest name has set me free. And so what we're gonna do is, we're gonna do what we always do in some form or fashion. Matter of fact, we already did the offering, I think. So forget about the offering for, as our CFO freaked out when I said, forget about the offering. Um, Don't forget about it, just put it to the side for a second. Instead of come, sing and bring, Let's just think about come and sing so for some of you this is a light song it doesn't it doesn't build so it's light so what that means is whatever campus you're on there's no reason that you know a thousand or 500 or however many people in your room don't drown out the soft beautiful voices of what's up here do not take the lord's name in vain don't take it in an empty vain frivolous fashion. For some of you, it's the idea of, I need to go up there as fast as I can. I messed up. Instead of I messed up, my dad's gonna kill me. I messed up, I gotta get to my dad. Some of you need to come up here and just thank God for the fact of what he's done in your family. Listen, I've heard the story, you sent the email. The question is, I'm glad you thank us, but you need to thank God for that. God's the one that brought your husband back. God's the one that told you, hey, don't take your life. God's the one that helps you break that addiction, not us. That's all I am is the messenger. Listen, God is the one that actually does it. So if you haven't already, come up here and thank him for that. Father, we want to thank you for, uh, thanks for the gospel. This passage is crazy awesome. We don't even know how to respond. And the words that I had were so limited. Thanks for putting a few big words in there that we could really marinate on and think about and let them get down to the, just the, to our bones. Gotta pray the next three minutes or so across all of Western North Carolina, at least the seven, seven different places there would be, the name of Jesus would be lifted up, that the people of God in the presence of God, singing back to God, that you would be pleased with what goes on. We love you, thank you that we don't have to go to a priest to talk anymore to you, that we can go Because of what Jesus did, we can go and we can talk to you. So let us take advantage of that over these next few minutes. Let our hearts match the posture of our bodies. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.